you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix, Arizona, that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. And so here we are, just on behalf of all of us, I say, Holy Spirit, come speak to us. We want to hear from you. That's why we showed up. Fill our lives afresh. Send us out as your people. And it's fitting that we would maybe even just name that on an evening like this, that we would long for what we might call an epiphany from God. Because in the rhythms of the historical Christian church calendar, we find ourselves in a season on the church calendar actually called epiphany, which is a beautiful word, a powerful word, a word that we don't use maybe nearly enough. And here we are now longing for an epiphany if you will, right? We're expecting a revelation from God, a breaking in or a breakthrough, if you will. And it's fitting that it's the season of epiphany and it's also MLK Sunday. They tend to coincide every single year in January anyway, but I don't think that that was what anybody had in mind. It is unique in this sense though, that as we commemorate, celebrate, and remember the legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., there's something powerful about his own epiphanies that he received from God. There was this one moment in Dr. King's life, a despairing moment. And he heard the voice of Jesus in his kitchen in the middle of the night. And many historians and scholars of Dr. King call it his kitchen epiphany. And this is how he describes it. Dr. King himself in his book, Stride Toward Freedom. He says, I was ready to give up. With my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me, I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. In the state of exhaustion, when my courage had all but gone, I decided to take my problem to God. With my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud. The words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. He said, I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I'm afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership. And if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. At that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced God before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. Almost at once my fears began to go, my uncertainty disappeared, and I was ready to face anything. And then, three days later, a bomb blasted Dr. King's house and his family escaped harm by the narrowest of margins. Dr. King later wrote, strangely enough, I accepted the word of the bombing calmly. My religious experience a few nights before had given me the strength to face it. The kitchen epiphany of Dr. King. And at the heart of what I hope we hear as we remember Dr. King's life, as we embrace this season of epiphany, and as we now chart our way through the scriptures today, is this, that God has been speaking, that God will continue to speak, 
And God deeply longs for each one of us to intimately hear his voice. He wants to break in and reveal himself to us. And so my invitation for us tonight and all the days forward is that we would continue to be people of God who maintain the mystical, that we live with an expectation that God will break through into our lives as individuals and as a community as well. So with this in mind, allow me to read the third part of our four parts of Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail. But despite these notable expectations, I must honestly reiterate that I have been disappointed with the church. I do not say this as one of those negative critics who can always find something wrong with the church. I say this as a minister of the gospel who loves the church, who has nurtured in its bosom, who has been sustained by its spiritual blessings and who will remain true to it as long as the cord of life shall lengthen. When I was suddenly catapulted into the leadership of the bus protest in Montgomery, Alabama a few years ago, I felt we would be supported by the white church. I felt that the white ministers, priests, and rabbis of the South would be among our strongest allies. Instead, some have been outright opponents, refusing to understand the freedom movement and misrepresenting its leaders. All too many others have been more cautious than courageous and have remained silent behind the anesthetizing security of stained glass windows. In spite of my shattered dreams, I came to Birmingham with the hope that the white religious leadership of this community would see the justice of our cause and, with deep moral concern, would serve as the channel through which our just grievances could reach the power structure. I had hoped that each of you would understand, but again, I've been disappointed. In the midst of blatant injustices inflicted upon the Negro, I have watched white churchmen stand on the sideline and mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities. In the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice, I have heard many ministers say, those are social issues with which the gospel has no real concern. I have traveled the length and breadth of Alabama, Mississippi, and all the other southern states. On sweltering summer days and crisp autumn mornings, I have looked at the South's beautiful churches with their lofty spires pointing heavenward. And I have beheld the impressive outlines of her massive religious education buildings. Over and over, I have found myself asking what kind of people worship here? Who is their God? Where are their voices of support when bruised and weary Negro men and women decided to rise from the dark dungeons of complacency to the bright hills of creative protest? Yes, these questions are still in my mind. In deep disappointment, I have wept over the laxity of the church. But be assured that my tears have been tears of love. There can be no deep disappointment where there is not deep love. Yes, I love the church. How could I do otherwise? I'm in the rather unique position of being the son, the grandson, and the great-grandson of preachers. Yes, I see the church as the body of Christ, but oh, how we have blemished and scarred the body through social neglect and through fear of being nonconformists. Before we dive into the passage, let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we call on your name again. 
you are already here with us. You are already breaking in. You are already speaking. Give us ears to hear it. Open up our hearts and our lives to discern what it is you have for us. Whether it's through our prayers, whether it's through our songs, whether it's through these words from Dr. King's letter that he wrote in a jail cell on the margins of a newspaper, or whether it's the words we're about to read from the Gospel of John, would you speak to us, Jesus? We long to hear your voice. We long for an epiphany. So here we are, open and receptive and anticipating that you will meet us in this moment. Give me your words to speak in the rest of our time together this evening, Lord. May we make much of you, may we glorify you, and will we make you known in this world. We need you. Help us trust you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Our passage today is John 1, 43 through 51. But before I read it for us, so you can turn there, or I'm gonna read it anyway so you can listen. But before I tell you uh, about what John had to say in John 1, I wanted to tell you a bit of one of my epiphany stories that's actually influenced why we would emphasize an MLK Sunday. Kaleo has existed for two MLK Sundays in its lifetime. And we have spent two of those reading a letter from a Birmingham jail. Much of that was born out of my personal experience. There was a church that I pastored out a while back. I was an associate pastor a handful of years ago. And I worked alongside two other pastors. One was a black woman who was about 10 years older than me. And one was a black man who was about five years older than me. And every time that Martin Luther King Jr.'s Sunday would roll around, they would have to either get a meeting or send an email or have another conversation to remind our senior leadership that this holiday was approaching and it was meaningful to them if we would do something to commemorate, to celebrate, and to remember Dr. King. And I vowed in that moment when they told me that in a side conversation on their way out, to never be that person who waited for somebody to listen again for the first time to the same thing that black people have been telling us all along, to pay attention, to listen that this is happening. And that was my epiphany. I had two patient, careful, loving teachers tell me this matters, pay attention. Hear what's going on and then let's do something about it. And so that's been a commitment in our short life as a church to hold space, not just for MLK Sunday, but to be people who embody this whole multi-ethnic family of God that we desire to be, that we need to be. Because you're sitting here like me, I'm sure, listening to the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. from 1963 and you're going, frick. Still? Still? And so we've got to be about it because that is exactly what Dr. King models for us. This push and pull of the gospel of Jesus that draws us all to be what he would call the beloved community because we need each other to move forward, to bring those on the margins into the center. And I know I stand here too in this unique position where I'm the prominent voice of this gathering as a white man. I get that too, but we need to bring together the wholeness of this 
That's why Aaron is a part of our team, right? We're again, trying to be real about embodying what we say so that we can model it in the world and become it. So let us prepare to encounter Jesus in the passage today, as well as in the life and witness of Dr. King. John 1, 43 through 51. Here's what it reads. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown who had just started following Jesus. Philip went to look for Nathanael and he told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth? exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me, Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open up and the angels of God going up and down on the son of man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Some fun stuff going on in this passage, right? As Jesus begins to call his disciples to follow him, it unfolds with all of this looking and seeing, these epiphanies, if you will. Again and again, these epiphanies, these breaking ends, if you could make it plural. And I want you to pay attention to all of the looking and seeing because we go backwards just a few verses when Jesus calls two more disciples I want you to hear the words of looking and seeing that unfold in the passage. This is John 1, 35 through 42. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. And as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said, come and see. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John had said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon who told him, we have found the Messiah. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. And then right after that, what we read the first time, Jesus goes out and he sees Nathanael under the fig tree. He says to these new followers that you will see greater things. He says you will see, in fact, heaven open up. And what do we get in all of this? We get that we are seen and we will see. As the people of God, that is exactly the invitation. Do you want to be seen by Jesus? Yes, we do. 
Well, you are seen. Do you want to see like Jesus? Well, yes, you can. That's what he provides for us. That's what he gives us. Those are the eyes we now have as his followers. However, we do have the tendency to be like Nathaniel. Nathaniel couldn't see what there was to see. He never fathomed something or someone so good could come from a place like Nazareth. Nazareth was this ho-hum village of about 300 people, meaningless in the grand scheme of things, never once mentioned in the Hebrew scriptures, which is literally why Nathaniel exclaims, could anything good come from Nazareth? These first followers of Jesus, these men, they think, they can assume that where Jesus comes from explains who he is. How many times do we do the same with a person or a people? We assume we know based on where they come from, who they are. Even when these people in Jesus's path are confronted by the divine, it's possible for them to be completely oblivious to God's presence in their lives. We might miss it. That's why the invitation to long for an epiphany is so meaningful because the whole prayer is that we would not miss it. Because when you miss it, when you miss the divine among you, that's when we start killing off all the prophets. That's why Jesus in fact dies himself. And still in this encounter, the potent force that propels Philip and Nathaniel is the sheer presence of Jesus drawing them. Jesus was essentially utterly irresistible to these two men because Jesus is the epiphany of God. The revelation, the manifestation, or as John who wrote this gospel right here said earlier, the word. Jesus is what God has to say. You wanna know what God is like? He is like Jesus. That's why we've got Jesus epiphanized, if you will, into the setting. And then Jesus is just talking to these two guys and he concludes with the, the most crazy thing. He says, I tell you the truth. Like you just gotta imagine the scene, right? Because already Nathaniel's like, you saw me under a fig tree and you know me. And he's like, I'm all in. And I'm just not sure how that unfolds, right? If you're seen under a fig tree, you're like, yes, I feel known. But it was because he was seen by Jesus, the sheer presence ushered him in. And now they're here sitting before Jesus, standing with him, and he tells them this. He says, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the son of man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and and earth. Do you have any idea what that means? Because I'm not sure we do. What Jesus is doing here is he's hearkening back to Genesis chapter 28. There's this guy named Jacob who gets named Israel and he's representative of the people of God, right? And he leaves town because he's trying to find someone to marry and apparently there was nobody there that would marry him. And so they send him across the desert. And so Jacob packs it up He's got his stuff and he cruises across the desert. You can't make the whole trip in one day. So he pulls up at night. He says, this looks like a good flat spot. He picks up a rock, lays it down and he puts his head on a rock and goes to sleep. 
comfort, right? Just like that's, that's grade A travel right there. Four star right under the, yeah, okay. So he's laying there on this little journey, not expecting anything at all. There's nothing specific that's supposed to unfold. He's gonna wake up the next day and continue his journey. But while he's sleeping, he has a dream. Do you know what happens in that dream? The heavens open up and he sees the angels of the Lord descending to and from the earth. This is in fact the picture that Jesus is laying out for us. He got a glimpse of the revelation and he wakes up. This is my favorite part of the whole story. He wakes up after this dream and he's just like, looks around. Remember, it's just an, it's nowheresville. It's just a stop on his camp trip. Could be a place even like Nazareth. He looks around and he goes, I didn't even know God was in this place. He didn't even notice it. He laid down, went to sleep. And there was the epiphany. There was the revelation. There was God in his midst. How many times do we walk around in this world longing for the presence of God, just hoping that God would break in, but we haven't noticed that God's already in this place? This is like literally sometimes what happens when we show up to a church gathering. We're like, ah, so-so sermon, so-so songs, so-so people. And you're like, no, you missed it. That might've all been true and it might all be true tonight, but God's still in this place. And you have the opportunity to encounter him in this very moment. Like that's so what he longs to do. And it's not just so that you would feel good. That's why I love that the beginning of Epiphany overlays with MLK Sunday. It's not just that we'd be like, ooh, that was fuzzy. What an epiphany. It's so that you would be utterly transformed to see like Jesus to be an extremist for love. Positive peace that brings about justice so you would go that way with Jesus. And so my prayer and my hope and my desire for all of us is that we would open up our eyes and go, oh man, I didn't even know God was in this place. And we would receive the fresh revelation, the fresh invitation to go as one with new eyes to see as Jesus sees. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna create a little space for us to see in Jesus. The band, you guys can all come up and I'm just gonna set the stage for you to hear from God as well. Perhaps you already are, but I wanna make it even more clear. So would you just like get in a posture maybe that says in, in your body, I expect God to meet me in this place, right? The way I'll often say it is that our bodies align with our heart. So if we have an expectant heart, let's have an expectant body. Sometimes that means I put my palms on my knees open, like, yes, I'm ready to receive something. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? Would you just envision with me that you're like with Jacob and you're in the middle of nowheresville and you're laying down on the hard ground, nice blanket maybe underneath you. And you lay your head on a cozy pillow, a rock thing. 
You can kind of feel it pressing against the back of your skull. It's a little cold. The ground is kind of hard and you're laying there. Just imagine yourself closing your eyes with no expectations of anything at all happening. Just be for a moment. And as you lay there, a world opens up before you in a way that our mystical minds can hardly comprehend. And it's this image of the heavens, of God's domain opening up before you and you catch a glimpse of it. And Jesus is moving before you, letting you know that you are seen. Pause for a moment and be seen by Jesus. as you receive from him. Just ask in the quiet of your own mind, in the quiet of your own heart, okay, Jesus, now what do you want me to see that I haven't been seeing? Where is that place where I might go, God, I didn't even know you were in this place? Ask him that question, where do you want me to see? And then listen. Give us eyes to see. Grant us, God, the gift to discern your presence among us. May we continue to exclaim, I didn't know you were in this place, as we see afresh. So Spirit of God, come and fill us up and send us out. Fill us up, send us out, give us eyes to see, to do the work, to join the work that Jesus is doing and is already doing and is gonna keep doing. We need you, Jesus. But may we not get caught with our eyes closed, standing flat-footed. Open up our eyes to see the epiphany, the revelation, the manifestation, the word. And grant us the gift of movement as we go with you, Jesus, to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.